Well, if you would take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter number one, Matthew chapter number one, we're going to start a new series uh, this morning, and it's just a brief Christmas series called A Thrill of Hope, A Thrill of Hope, Matthew chapter number one, and we're going to read verses 18 through 23, and as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of this passage, Matthew chapter number one. Verse 18 through 23. And the word of God says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And with that, let's have a word of prayer once again. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we just read and the truth of that message in those verses. Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, Lord, show us what you want us to know today and help us, Lord, to apply the truth to our lives. And I uh, pray, Lord, that uh, you'd be honored and glorified and that you draw us all closer to you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you were to ask me what my favorite Christmas song would be, which I actually asked that question in our Sunday school class this morning, to everybody there. Uh, hands down, my favorite Christmas song is O Holy Night. And uh, one of the reasons for that is the very first stanza of that song goes like this. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing for you this morning because um, that would run everybody out of the, out of the church house and I don't want to do that. But the first stanza of the song goes, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And the next line says, a thrill of hope. The weary world, what does it do? Rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night, O holy night, O night divine. And I love that, a thrill of hope. Why? Because he, uh, Jesus Christ, the hope that we all had uh, finally appeared on that very first Christmas day. See, the hope that this song is referring to is not some abstract concept of hope. It's the hope that the world was waiting for for thousands of years, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And now that he has come, it was indeed a thrill and the weary world does indeed rejoice. And so in the series, we're going to consider this greatest hope of all. We're going to start with the we're going to start the series this morning by looking at a promised hope. And in this message, we're going to look at several passages in the Scripture as we look at this promised hope. So I hope, no pun intended, okay, maybe a little, I hope you have a Bible with you this morning and that you're ready to look and turn to some passages. And I'm not going to apologize for that here at Cornerstone. Uh, we want to be a church where the Bible is our final, um, final authority in all faith and practice. And uh, we need to know the Scriptures. And so we're going to be turning to some passages as we go through this message. And I hope you are able to do that and stay with me this morning. Now, in Matthew chapter number 1 and 2, we see multiple times that the events that took place were actual direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
If you look here in uh, one of the reasons I chose this passage as our text, Matthew 1, 18 through 23, is because in verse number 21, it says, Thou shalt bring forth the Son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I love that verse. And then verse 22 says that this was a direct fulfillment. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. See, so many things that took place during even uh, Matthew chapter number one and two were all in direct fulfillment of the promises made uh, many hundreds and even centuries before, or centuries and maybe even thousands of years before Jesus was born. In chapter number two, if you look there very, very quickly in verse number 15. Well, verse number 13 here, after the uh, the wise men come, after Jesus was born for some time, he was there in the house, not in the main, not, 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 not in the, uh, the stable um, anymore. He's now in a house. And, and so uh, verse number 13, when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared, appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse number 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. There's those words again, of which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. And if you go to verse number 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. Can you even just wrap your head around that? I don't even want to. I mean, the, the amount of wickedness that, that, that came up with that decision. Uh, he, he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Verse number 17, notice here's those words again. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. So here again, we see that another prophecy was being fulfilled in what was happening around the birth of Christ. And that's not the last time even in chapter number two that we see that. If you go in verse number 23, it says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So over and over and over again, even in these first couple chapters of Matthew, we see that Jesus is the promised hope that he is the one who was promised in the Old Testament, and now he's fulfilling all of these prom- prophecies. And we're going we're gonna to see that in this message that, that when God makes a promise, he always, without fail, 100% of the time, keeps that promise. See, our God is a faithful God. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. In Ezekiel 12 and verse 28, we read these words, thus saith the Lord God, there shall none of my words be prolonged anymore, but the word which I have spoken shall be done, saith the Lord God. So when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. Someone once rightly said this, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them because he, his promises can never be broken. We're going to see that as we go through the life of Christ here and, uh, and how he fulfills all of these promises, look, the other promises that God has made to you and I, he's going to keep those promises just as well. Let's get into it this morning. This is going to be a little bit more of a Bible study type of a message, and, and I encourage you to take notes and jot these references down. Turn to them if you can as we go through them uh, quickly this morning. First of all, I want us to see, as we consider the promised hope, first of all, His birth was promised. His birth was promised. And several aspects about His birth were mentioned in detail in the Old Testament that came to pass in the New Testament, in the birth of Christ. Uh, what, what, what exactly was promised regarding his birth? Well, first of all, the who was promised. Who was that was going to come to this world to be the Savior of the world? And we, 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 we read about this all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15 is the first promise that Jesus would come 
In verse number 15 of Genesis 3 says this, I will put enmity, this is after the fall of man, Adam and Eve in the garden, and, uh, and, and, and God is delivering uh, some curses, and right now he's speaking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed, and then here it is, her seed. Her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And in that prophecy, we see already her seed is a reference to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Because typically, just how you and I were born, uh, the, the seed came from the man. But here there was a reference to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, would come and He would be born of a virgin. So He was already promised all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 15. And then in Isaiah 9 and verse number 6, we see another prophecy. And this is our memory verse for the month of December here at Cornerstone. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And then we know that when Jesus came, he, 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 he was the fulfillment of that. And in um, Isaiah 7, verse number 14, Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And, and here Jesus comes and is born and is named Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So the who was promised. The where was also promised. The where. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we read these words, But thou, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So Micah tells us that where Jesus was to be born, where the Messiah, where the Son of God, where the promised hope was to be born. He was to be born in Bethlehem. Well, if you are, your Bible is open to Matthew chapter number 2. If you look there, where was he born? Well, Matthew 2 tells us. Luke 2 tells us as well. We're going to be there in a quick second. But Matthew 2 tells us where Jesus was born. Now, when Jesus was born in, what's the next word? Bethlehem. Of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Well, when Herod the king had heard all these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem. In the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was promised that he would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. How do we know that he was born in, in uh, Bethlehem, and how did God work that out? Well, let's go to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. Of course, I know this is a lot, a lot of review for a lot of us here, but I just want us to stop and think about that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these different prophecies. Luke chapter 2, here's how God did it. I mean, it, he just, you know, he just was accidentally born in Bethlehem, right? No, no. God sovereignly saw that he would be born in Bethlehem, and here's how he did it. In Luke 2, in verse number 1, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So Joseph and Mary were hanging out in Nazareth. That's not where Jesus was promised to be born. He was promised to be born in Bethlehem. And so God in his sovereignty, you know how the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord? Well, we see that here with uh, Caesar Augustus. And he used this, this idea of, well, we need, to, we need to have some more tax be paid. So let's go have the census be done. And, and, and as a result, people uh, pay uh, their, their taxes. L let's do that. Well, that was just so happened to be the way that God was going to get Mary and Joseph all the way up to Bethlehem, and there he was going to give birth, or there she was going to give birth to Jesus. And verse number six of Luke chapter two, 
And so it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. See, God knew the timing of it all. And he said, it's time for you to get up to Bethlehem. If it was early, too early in the pregnancy, well, then they would pay their taxes. They would do their thing, and then they would come back to Nazareth and give birth. But God orchestrated all of it in the right timing. So God fulfilled these promises that were made hundreds and, and centuries, years before Jesus was born. So his birth was promised. We see the who, the where. Now let's talk about the how. How was Jesus to be born? Well, Genesis 3.15, we already mentioned a moment ago, tells us that uh, it was going to be her seed, which is a reference to the virgin birth of Christ. And then in Isaiah 7 and verse 14, we're going we're gonna to look at some passages. I'll ask you to turn to several as we go through this message. We're not going to turn to every one of these verses. I'm just going to go ahead and read them for sake of time. But Isaiah 7, 14, and you're familiar with this one. The Bible says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive. And of course, Genesis 3, 15 gives reference to it. But then Isaiah clarifies that reference and tells us exactly that it's going to be a virgin that's going to give birth to the Son of God. Okay, well, what happened? Did that happen? Obviously, we know that, yes, it did. But let's look at the scriptures that show that. Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter 1, let's look there in verse number 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. This is, the, uh, this is when Gabriel comes to Mary in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And notice this in verse number 27, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And then notice this, and the virgin's name was Mary. So the word virgin is mentioned twice in that one verse alone. And then verse 28, the angel came in to her and said, Hail, that thou, art, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then notice this in verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She says, I'm a virgin. How? That doesn't... You know, like, I've been to biology class, Angel Gabriel, and this doesn't work unless you have a man. And then God says, or, or the angel of God says this, uh, in verse number 35, uh, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So she said, hey, I'm a virgin. Like, how can this happen? That, that's a good question. But it did happen. And she was a virgin, and she did give birth. And Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of, not any man, the Holy Ghost. So the how was promised, and the how came to pass. But then, fourthly, under this, I want us to see the why. The reason why he was promised and what he was going to be doing. In Psalm 130, here's what it says about what he was going to do. Psalm 130 in verse number 7 says, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So this is a prophecy regarding what Jesus would end up doing. In Daniel chapter 9, verse number 24, here's another one. A lot of times we hear, and, and let, me, let me just kind of call a timeout in the message here. A lot of times we, we hear about how Jesus fulfills a lot of prophecies. A lot of us don't have those references down. That's what I'm trying to do in this message here, is to give you the ammunition that you need for your own faith 
and to help others as well and to teach them the truth. That Jesus is the fulfillment of so many different prophecies. And so I know this is a little different type of a message and a little more uh, turning to passages and writing references down, but I'm, I, I want to give you some things that I think will help you just even in your own uh, relationship with God to say, I am so convinced that you are the fulfillment and that you are the promised hope. Okay, Daniel, back to the message here. Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Daniel prophesied that that when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, he's going to finish transgression to make an end of sins. So he's going to do away with and, 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 and provide the ultimate covering and, and, and forgiveness of sin. Isaiah 53 in verses 11 and 12 is another couple of references I want you to jot down. Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall see the travail of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So why he was to come was promised all the way back in all of these different uh, Old Testament prophecies. And then in the New Testament, why did he come? Well, that was all fulfilled. Uh, Matthew 121, he shall, she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Some people think, well, Jesus was just a wonderful teacher, an example for all of us. Yes, he is, but that's not it. You see, he came to save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sin. Look, that's what we needed most. We didn't need just a good teacher, just a good example. We needed to be set free from our sin. And that's really why he came. Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 14 uh, talked about who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. See, He is the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies regarding why the Messiah was to come, to save us from our sins, and Jesus did that. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. See, Jesus came to die. He was born to die. That wasn't it. So we see that Jesus fulfilled so much, even in the birth of Christ. But then not only was his birth promised, but secondly, I want us to see that his life was promised. We already saw in Matthew chapter number two that he would grow up in Nazareth was an Old Testament prophecy. While there's no direct verse that says that, there is several prophecies in the Old Testament that form together point to the fact that Jesus would grow up in Nazareth. And in Matthew chapter 2, that's exactly where he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth. We, we also read in the Old Testament that the Messiah was to be preceded by a messenger, by one who goes before him. In Isaiah 40, in verse number 3, there's a reference there, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi 3.1 tells us also that there is going to be a messenger that's going to precede the Messiah. And it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And guess who that was that came before Jesus went on the scene? His name was what? John the Baptist. And that all, all those prophecies of Isaiah 40 and verse 3 and Malachi 3.1 came true in John the Baptist. Okay? We also know that uh, what his life was going to be about. Isaiah 61 and verse number 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord 
God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And guess what Jesus ended up doing with his life? He ended up preaching good tidings unto the meek. He ended up binding up the brokenhearted and healing them and, and, and doing all kinds of miracles to heal uh, people. And, and, and the Gospels are filled with uh, instances when he did that. To proclaim liberty to the captives, he did that. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Yes, he did all of those things. That's what Jesus came to do. But again, that was prophesied many hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the scene. And then his life is a direct fulfillment of that. And we learn in the Old Testament also that the Messiah was to enter in his life into Jerusalem riding a donkey. You know, Palm Sunday, I realize this is Christmas time. We're not supposed to talk about Palm Sunday until we get closer to Easter. But, but there was a prophecy in the Old Testament regarding Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 is the reference there. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So here it says in the Old Testament that Jesus was going to enter into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And guess what happened? Many years later, Jesus comes marching into Jerusalem, not on a wild stallion, but on the back of a donkey. Again, another fulfillment of prophecy. We also learn in the Old Testament in Psalm 41, verse 9, I'm not going to even read the verse, but uh, he, he was going to be betrayed by a friend who ate with him. And we see that fulfilled with Judas betraying him. In the Old Testament, we also learn that the Messiah was to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. In Zechariah 11:12. guess what ended up happening? Yeah, it's no surprise because he is the Messiah. He is the promised hope. So his life was promised. But then thirdly, I want us to see that his death was promised. The details regarding the crucifixion of Jesus were prophesied many, again, hundreds of years before it ever happened. And as he's crucified, all these prophecies are being fulfilled one by one. Showing once again that this, without a doubt, without question, is the promised Messiah. So what about his death was promised? Well, first of all, that he would die. And obviously, that doesn't take a lot of... Uh, anybody can prophesy that somebody's going to die. Because, well, we all die. As it pointed unto men once to die. But Genesis 3.15, it was mentioned that, that Satan would have the ability to bruise the heel of Jesus Christ. And we see that happen on the cross, for sure. But if we turn our Bibles uh, to Isaiah 53, I want us to see a couple of these prophecies regarding the death of Christ that were fulfilled in the crucifixion of our Savior. Isaiah 53 and verse number 3. says this, he is despised and rejected of men. You, you think about that for a quick second in Jesus and his, at that point in his life. I mean, there was one point in, in, in his ministry where literally thousands of people were following him after the wonderful miracle of feeding the 5,000, right? And then people kept following him and he was getting famous and he was kind of a, a local celebrity and everybody wanted to be around him. But but when it came to the cross, I mean, even his closest disciples all fled and forsook him. And so when it says here he's despised and rejected of men, he's not just talking about generally. He's talking even about his closest allies. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Oh, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of his all. 
Notice this here. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. You remember when Jesus appeared before Pilate and Pilate began to question him and, and interrogate Jesus and Jesus kind of just let him say what he wanted to say. Now he could have, he could have called all the angels to come and destroy everybody in that palace. But he didn't do that. As a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Remember, Jesus was, after he died, he was buried. He was buried in a borrowed tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very rich man. And so again, here's an, just another fulfillment of prophecy. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was sinless. He was sinless. And now let's go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is another uh, prophecy regarding the death of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22. There's a couple of psalms in the Bible that talk about the crucifixion of Christ. Psalm 22 is one, and Psalm 69 is another one. By the way, it is interesting to note that Psalm 22 is a prophecy regarding the crucifixion of Christ, and then that's right before we have the 23rd Psalm, the one that we all know and love. There, there's an interesting a thought there that the cross comes before he's able to really truly lead us as our shepherd. But Psalm 22, let's look at a few of these verses here. Let's read a little bit of this chapter. We won't read the whole thing, but verse number six, starting in verse number six. Here, David is writing, but it's a reference to future when Jesus would be there on the cross. He says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Again, before Jesus was on the cross, there were a whole host of people who were yelling at the top of their lungs, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 7, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head saying, oh, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him that seeing he delighted in him. Now, can you, for those who remember some of the conversations that were going on with the people there while Jesus was on the cross, these are being fulfilled there on the cross at Calvary. Verse 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, and my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Remember when Jesus was uh, got died, and they 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 thrust him through, and out came forth blood mixed with water. Uh, another fulfillment here. Verse fifteen: My strength is dried up like a potsherd; my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Remember when he said, "I thirst." And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Ladies and gentlemen, is this not a reference to what Jesus would go through many hundreds of years later on a hill called Golgotha? Absolutely. Verse 17, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare at me. Upon me, they part my garments upon them and cast lots upon my vesture. That all happened hundreds of years later. In Psalm 69, we, I, in fact, go ahead and turn to Matthew 27. And while you're turning there, I want to read one more reference from Psalm 69. I mentioned Psalm 69 is another Old Testament prophecy regarding the crucifixion, the death of our Savior. And in that, 
psalm, it says this, They gave me also gall for my drink, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. They gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let's see if these have been fulfilled. Matthew 27, and pick it up in verse number 34. They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. So verse 34 of Matthew 27 is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of what would happen there on the cross. Let's keep reading. Verse 35, they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. Didn't we just read about that? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set, him over, set up over his head uh, this, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. Does this not remind you of what we just read in Psalm 22? If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, Oh, this man called for Elias or Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let, a, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. His death was promised, but guess what? All those promises regarding his death, came true there on Calvary. So his death was promised, but I want us to see, fourthly here, his resurrection was promised. And praise the Lord for this truth. Because Jesus not only died for our sins, but he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, to give us eternal life. Now the concept of the resurrection was promised. Just the general concept of the resurrection was promised in Daniel chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3. Daniel 12, 2 and 3 says this, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But the concept of the resurrection was mentioned in Daniel chapter 12, but then more specifically, Jesus' resurrection was also promised in the Old Testament. In Psalm 16, in verse number 10, it says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. And while it wasn't necessarily mentioned as a prophecy at the time, when Jonah was in the belly of the whale for those three days and three nights, that was actually an illustration of what Jesus was going to do for us as he died and was going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Psalm 22 uh, also refers to the resurrection of Christ. And Isaiah 53 and verse number 10 does as well, and I want to read that one to you. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his, in his hand. Prolong his days. Well, he's dead. See, Isaiah said he's going to prolong his days because he's going to yet live again. He's not going to stay dead. See, the Old Testament promised the resurrection of Christ. Did that come to pass? Well, if your Bible's still open to Matthew 27, if you go to just to chapter 28 there, and let's pick it up in verse number one very quickly. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher where Jesus was for three days and three nights, by the way. And behold, there was a great earthquake, 
For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it, and his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. But here it is, verse 6, he is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. He's not here, he's risen. He, in other words, has fulfilled those Old Testament prophecies regarding his resurrection. So his resurrection was promised and fulfilled. Uh, Number five, very quickly here, his ascension was promised. The fact that Jesus would die on the cross, be buried and rise again was all prophesied, but also that he would ascend up back up into heaven was also prophesied. Psalm 68 and verse 18 It says, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Thou hast ascended on high, it says there. Well, what happened? Let's go to Luke chapter 24 very quickly. Luke chapter 24. The last few verses of this chapter of this whole book of the Bible we read about the ascension of Jesus Christ and that he fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy that he would ascend into heaven. Verse 49, Jesus says to his disciples, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. It's also recorded, his ascension is recorded also in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number one, really in verse number 11-ish. So here's the deal. His birth was promised and he fulfilled those promises. His life was promised and his life fulfilled all of those promises. His death was promised in the Old Testament and on Calvary, he fulfilled all of those promises promises. His resurrection was promised in the Old Testament, and we find that Jesus fulfilled all of those promises. His ascension was even promised, and he fulfilled those as well. There's one more aspect of Jesus that was promised that he actually is yet to fulfill, and that is number six here. His second coming was promised. The second coming of Jesus Christ is actually going to happen in two phases. The first stage is what's considered the rapture of the church. When Paul wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So the Lord is, that's the next thing, by the way, on God's calendar. Now there's other things that are going to happen perhaps before the rapture, but as far as prophetical things that need to take place before the rapture, nothing else needs to be take place. That's the next thing that could happen, and it could happen today. Uh, but then after that, the world is going to experience a seven-year tribulation period. And at the end of those seven years, the second stage of his second coming will take place when Jesus comes back physically to this earth to rule and reign for 1,000 years. Now think about this for a quick second. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and no less than 17 of them, of those books in the Old Testament, mention the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are significantly more scriptures in the Old Testament that refer to the second coming than they do promise the first coming. Enoch prophesied about the second coming all the way back in the days of Genesis. And while this isn't in the book of Genesis, it's actually in one of the New Testament books, Jude tells us what Enoch, who lived during the days of Genesis, he was the seventh from Adam, here's what he had to say. Jude 14 and 15 says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He says the word ungodly several times in that verse. I think that was the title of his sermon, The Ungodly. (laughs) 
But he promised that the Lord was going to come with 10,000s of his saints. And by the way, for those of us who are New Testament saints, that's us. When he comes back to rule and reign, we're going to get to come with him. Daniel spoke about uh, the second coming in Daniel chapter number 7. Uh, Jesus also promised that he would come back in John chapter number 14. For sake of time, I'm just going to give you the references here. And the angels promised that he would come back in Acts chapter number 1 and verse 11. And which, said unto, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gaze up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And there are so many other references I can give you because uh, John, the Apostle John talked about it. And uh, so many others, I mean, uh, Paul talked about it on several occasions, how that Jesus was coming back. So look, here's the deal. Jesus has fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies regarding his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Now, he hasn't fulfilled the ones regarding the second coming, but just as sure as he did the first ones, my friend, he's going to fulfill those other ones too. Now, let me just throw this out, this thought out as we wrap this up. If we were to just take eight specific prophecies that we've talked about. And by the way, we've talked about several others, more than just eight. But if we took just eight prophecies concerning the Messiah, Peter Stoner wrote in his book, Science Speaks, to show that mere coincidence cannot explain all of these being fulfilled in one man, all of these, just even eight prophecies being fulfilled in one man. And he applied the science of probability to show the chance that all eight prophecies would be fulfilled in one man. That probability was calculated to be one in 100 quadrillion. One in one quadrillion. When Stoner's calculations were submitted to the American Scientific Affiliation for Verification, both a committee of review and the executive council found them dependable and accurate in regards to the scientific material presented. Now, it does not take a great deal of mathematical prowess to understand that one in 100 quadrillion shows that the odds are heavily against these prophecies being fulfilled as a result of sheer chance. But do we really have any concept of how many 100 quadrillion is? Is there any comparison we can make to help understand that huge number? Well, in the book Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell points out the fact that it would take 100 quadrillion silver dollars to cover the entire, entire state of Texas. I'm sorry for mentioning that word in here. Uh, in, in the church house today. But 100 quadrillion silver dollars to cover the entire state of Texas, two feet deep. Suppose we marked one of those silver dollars and let a man with a blindfold wander as long and as far as he wished, but instructed him to pick up one specific silver dollar. He would have the same chance of picking up that the right silver dollar as that one man would have fulfilling just eight prophecies about the Messiah. Isn't that mind-blowing? Now, those are the chances of just eight, eight prophecies being fulfilled in one man. We looked at several others. And really, it gets to the point where it's beyond, the, it's beyond mathematical probability. It has to be, he, Jesus has to be the Messiah. So we really have to conclude that without a doubt, without question, Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Since that's the case, what will you do with that information? What will you do? Will you repent and believe the gospel? Or will you choose to reject him? I've showed you so many prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled. What more proof do you need? Oh, I just need more evidence. This is all the evidence that God has given to us. And actually, he's given to us others. But this is the only one that we really absolutely need. He's given it to us. My friend, he is the Messiah. He's the promised hope. Let's trust him. Okay, for those of us who have trusted him, just as he totally and completely fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies regarding his first arrival, he will absolutely fulfill all the promises concerning his second coming. So my Christian brother and sister, are you ready for that? It could be today. And the encouragement for us is to live in light of his certain return because it is certain, it's sure, he promised it would happen, and it's going to happen. 
So what can we do to be ready? Well, let's be looking for it. Looking for that blessed, anybody know the next word? Hope. See, for those of us who are Christians, not only do we have hope in the fact that Jesus has already come, now we have hope that he's coming back for us. Let's be looking for that blessed hope. Let's be abiding in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That's our theme for this year, abide in Christ. Let's be abiding in him. Let's be looking. Let's be abiding. Let's be holy. John asked, hey, what manner of persons ought you to be, knowing that we have this assurance that he's coming back for us? He said, we ought to be holy. There was a gentleman who was visiting a certain school and announced that he would give a prize to the student whose desk he found in the best order when he returned. But when will you return? Some of that, some of them asked. Well, that I cannot tell was the answer. A little girl who had been noted for her disorderly habits announced that she meant to win the prize. You, her schoolmates jeered, why your desk is always out of order. Oh, but I mean to clean it the first of every week. Well, someone asked, but some suppose he should come at the end of the week. Well, then I will clean it every morning. Well, what if he comes at the end of the day? For a moment, the little girl was silent. I know what I'll do, she said decidedly. I'll just keep it clean. Can I encourage all of us, in light of his sure return, to keep our lives clean? Because we don't know when he's going to come. Let's live in holiness. And let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. Paul said that, hey, he's coming back for us. And he said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, keep plugging away. Stay faithful. He could come back today. You don't want to have him going, hey, why weren't you faithful today? Let's be faithful. Hey, he's the promised hope. I'm thankful that he fulfills all those promises. He's going, there's promises yet for him to fulfill. And I'm looking forward to those days when he does. And it's coming. And we don't know when, but let's be ready when it does.